Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. Welcome back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Today's episode, we're going to really get into unpacking a little bit of industrial health, trauma, following your passion, service to community, and really the process of working towards increasing self-understanding and how to really serve the community by serving yourself first. So today's guest has really one of the more interesting backgrounds coming into this work. And we were just talking before hitting record here about some of the background that I really think are super, super interesting. So today's guest is someone trained in the mental health field, is someone trained as a firefighter, but also somebody who's really committed to helping those that may be wounded through work and through service to get support, to get training, to get help. So today, some of the kind of key learning objectives are where can we start if we're having a hard time? Where can we go to get some resources if we're struggling? We're going to hit on a topic that I think we're both really well-versed in around stoicism and what that actually is and how it can be advantageous, but also how it can be a little bit problematic. So today's guest is Matthew Johnston. It's nice for me to actually be in the same city as someone today. So that's pretty exciting. And thank you so, so much for sharing some of your time with us today. It's an honor to be here, Mark. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Is there anything you think that we missed in the intro that you might want to add? I think it's great. I think we just keep it as is. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And what an interesting background. <laughs> so for our listeners here, these are typically, many are paramedical health professionals. Some might run clinics for people with concussion history or complex medical history. There can also be really concerned citizens about access to brain health programs. How does one <laughs> go from becoming a professional in the, you know, mental health into firefighting and then into helping to find an organization that's focused on helping wounded warriors? Like, unpack that for us. Sure. Well, I guess it goes back to the mid-90s when I ran track and field and was fortunate enough to get a full scholarship to Simon Fraser University. Didn't really know what I wanted to do, but wanted to avoid numbers. So like many people that I get a Bachelor of Arts, it's kind of because you wanted to avoid the math and calculus classes. So I got an undergrad degree in psychology while running on the track and field team there and wonderful five years of my life met some lifetime friends, and many of those friends actually went into firefighting. Now, I continued to run and stayed in university as long as Canada would pay for my tuition. I ran on the Canadian national team for a few years wow. and ended up luckily getting into UBC at a very young age to do my counseling psychology degree. When I retired from running around 2006, I started my private practice and to this day, absolutely miss it. I specialized in expressive play therapy, and I worked with children and adolescents that were dealing with trauma, depression, you know, issues around neglect. And those are some really tough 
stories to hear, especially as a small business owner that didn't work with a lot of other mental health professionals, but incredibly rewarding. And over time, I missed that team-based environment that I had from track and field. So in the early 2010s, I ran into a lot of my friends that were now professional firefighters at different road races. And I realized how much I wanted to be part of a structured team. And within four months, again, you know, the topics about brain health, I don't know how healthy this is, but within four months, I did a full transition from a full-time mental health professional to having all of my fire certifications and qualifications. I just made it my lifestyle and knew that to get this job in a highly competitive environment, that it needed to be my life. And so I was fortunate enough to be hired within less than a year of completing those certificates. And so within one year, I went from an expressive play therapy room office to a full-time professional firefighter. And that was a very interesting transition on my mental health. And also introspectively, being one that heard about trauma to now witnessing trauma And that transition led me to have a very introspective outlook in terms of what was my reaction to seeing the calls that I went to that often I only heard about in my office as a mental health clinician. It's remarkable that you took the steps. It would have taken quite a bit of courage and probably kind of scary to take those steps. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, being five foot nine and a distance runner, you know, you're typically not at that time, the typical build of a firefighter. And I knew I could do the job. It was about how do I transition to a culture where the first 10 years of my career, I was surrounded by a profession that was dominated by females that valued my opinion and approach and were incredibly polite and built me up to a profession where you had two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. And what is this shrink doing in our fire hall kind of mentality? I'm happy to say I got through those years. I would say I survived those years, but I didn't thrive in those early years. But now, looking back on it, it's been a tremendously enriching chapter in my life. And I'm happy to be in the fire service. That's amazing. You know, when we think about this work that we're talking about, and of course, the kind of title of this podcast is the Brain Mastery Podcast, of course, that also we're going to include the mind along with the brain. And we're going to look at not just brain health, but also the bridges with mental health and trauma today, which is really, this is one of the first podcasts where we're going to start to dip our toe a little bit into trauma because it's definitely a part of the equation. And maybe for today, we can look at industrial health maybe. And what we mean by that is more kind of your space in the first responder world. For people that are listening you know, here, you know, we were talking earlier, you know, I have many friends who are first responders and maybe as a dip our toe into this, there was one first responder that I worked with early on. As you know, I started a not-for-profit to help people with post-concussion challenges that aren't getting the level of service they need to live a higher quality of life and be more functional. And this one individual, he's been on the podcast, his name is Dave. And when he came to me, he said, look, I've been in the fire service. I love the guys. The guys take care of me. You know, I played hockey. I play on the department team and all these things, but I'm still struggling with my cognition. But part of the problem is the guys have got my back so much 
that they might be doing more and covering up some of the challenges that I might be having. And when we think about concussion, when we think about PTSD, when we think about trauma, and we think about your background and eclectic experience, what's the main message around this work? And again, this might be one of a two to three part series that we end up doing. We're not going to get it all done in one day here. But dipping our toe into this work a little bit, what's a main message from your lens that you would like for people to better understand around you know, trauma, mental health, brain health? Oh, that's a loaded question. Off the top of my head, I think if I was to give listeners one message, it's to engage in early intervention around your mental health. Just like we go to the dentist twice a year to get our teeth checked, we don't wait for an abscess tooth hopefully not, to go and get care. So there's nothing necessarily diseased or pathological about the nature of our physical injuries, or in this case, dental health. We do it proactively. And I think that's my message to all stoic service cultures is that we have a tendency to what we call function over feeling. And oftentimes we wait until we're in a crisis to receive care. And we think that by receiving care of whether it's a physician, a psychiatrist, a registered psychologist, and so on and so forth, that somehow we're going to get fixed. And that simply isn't how care works. And we know that clinical outcomes are much more enhanced when we deal with them in smaller, manageable pieces in what I call upstream mental health care. And so my message to listeners that might be in the same profession as me is don't wait until your backpack is full with boulders. We all carry boulders throughout our lives. And the question is, yeah, some of us might have a bigger backpack than others, but the reality is some of us have bigger boulders than others. And we experience the ebbs and flows of life. All of our backpacks will be close to being full. And I think through the last two years of the COVID pandemic, we have just recognized the silver lining in a really tough time in in our lives that our backpacks are full in our modern day culture of go, go, go and exposure to trauma and cumulative sleep debt and all the other stressors that were there before the pandemic started. I love that. I think that's very, very well said. And I think it can take acknowledgement though. I think one of the things is that it can be hard for oneself to get to a place where we can actually acknowledge that our backpack is full. When we have the day-to-day of, you know, I'm on shift four days on, four days off, the four days on I'm on and I have to be on and I don't have time to check my backpack or at least I don't provide myself the opportunity. I don't give myself permission to check the weight of my backpack. I just need to go. And then when I'm off, let's say my wife is on, I got to make lunches, you know, I've got a subcontracting job I'm doing as well. I'll get to it when I get to it. But in the interim, I just need to keep going, you know, 100 miles an hour. You know, how do we deal with that? Yeah, well, I mean, you're speaking actually to someone that struggles with that myself. You know, I've studied this for 20 years now, and I recognize that I have some blind spots around my ability to find self-care and rest as well, especially now that I'm in my 40s those type of things become more important. And, you know, just going back to the individual you're speaking of in the fire service, one of the huge protective factors he has and continues to have, according to your story, is a sense of belonging with his colleagues. 
And I think that that sense of belonging serves as a very good insulator to encountering these setbacks. Now, the other flip side of it is typically that sense of belonging means you're around other people that might have the same blind spots as yourself, which is pushing you beyond your limits. And so really, I think in order to influence stoic service culture, mental health, we have to look at dealing with this as a group, just like uh, your friend needs to have a pass in order to score that goal. We've got to be able to work as a team to recognize that this is that we're all in this together. Mark and Matt here may talk about this, but do we walk the walk? And I can honestly tell you that I don't always do that. Um, And that's okay. So, you know, forgiveness and permission to not be perfect, I think is something that is very challenging. And in some ways is more challenging for younger first responders given the impact that social media has had on their brain development and keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak. It's hard. I mean, that speed of information is so fast and filtering the information and the algorithm of the application, you won't beat it. <laughs> so no. you, you're just not going to beat that. And I think that whole point of self-compassion is so incredibly important. And I think that's where, for me, you know, one of my heroes in a lot of the work is, is Brene Brown and that whole concept of, I choose to believe people are doing the best that they can with what they've got at that time. And I also choose to listen to the voice of the individual who is also in the arena. Absolutely. And I think those are important. Those are kind of grounding principles that can be there for me when I'm aware enough to be reminded of them. Yeah. And I think what we're seeing in very recent times is this movement of resiliency being recognized as not just up to the individual, that resiliency actually involves a community of care. And in a highly individualistic culture like ours, you throw in, you know, a profession like firefighting or policing where it's highly competitive. You know, you're supposed to engage at all costs, eliminate two of your three primitive stress responses to fight at all costs. These are unimaginable and unrealistic expectations to place on the human mind and the brain. And I think when... I mean, my cause is really about teaching large groups of individuals in terms of in the healthcare industry and frontline first responders, that this is going to be a group effort to undo this, this mindset. This isn't about a simple ABC to changing yourself thoughts to becoming more resilient, which unfortunately, when you go into chapters in Indigo, that that's what the whole self-help section is all about. It's in the terminology self right? Whereas we know that organizational stressors are often more significant than traumatic exposures within public safety. And there may be listeners on your podcast right now that literally are shocked by that because of what they see and read in the media. And by the way, mental health of first responders are portrayed by researchers. But what I find fascinating is If you're in a toxic work environment within public safety and what I call organizational trauma that's guised as tradition that makes no sense and is quite dated, 
that experience is often more traumatic than the calls you go to. And this is supported by some early research that's just been published in the last couple of years, but I believe is the next chapter of how do we deal with influencing organizational culture to making it more supportive and compatible for things like ultimately brain health. I love that. And I think that it does. I mean, the step we can take is working towards better understanding ourselves. And, you know, one tool that I found really useful, you know, of course, this is when I knew less about myself, especially the parts I don't like and wasn't as aware of as I am now and still learning, was some of the work of Dr. Marshall Rosenberg around nonviolent communication. I believe that's a very tangible tool that at least helped me to better understand and unpack particular situations and relating for myself, individual feelings into thoughts and then into actions. And sometimes the action could just be as simple as I'm woke up, I'm feeling worried right now because I don't feel connected to my kids. And I'm wondering if I asked them if they might be willing to spend 30 minutes with me tomorrow because I, I miss them. When you follow a process, which is really like observe feeling needs request, it's kind of burnt into me now at this point. I feel like that can be a tool that can maybe help us to better understand in some of these situations. And I'm just wondering, what are some tools for people that are listening here? Because they're listening to this saying, Matthew, you're on it, man. Now, what do I do? Right? Yeah. Well, I think the way you just described it succinctly personifies what we do. And underlying what you're speaking about, that process that you went through involved a lot of curiosity and humility within yourself. And that is the same thing that everyone in society working with first responders and first responders themselves need to develop, is a sense of curiosity about what's happening within my mind and having the humility to recognizing when our limits have been reached and where do I now turn. For me, I turn to distance running because that is my form of meditation. Now, I know that aging first responders, which I'm in that group now in my 40s, can no longer do some of the physical activities that they once did. And how do you replicate that passion and the impact to your positive mental health that that's happened, you know, uh, helped throughout your two or three decades into sports or your industrial athlete career? But, you know, another theme, if it's not curiosity and humility that comes up, mind, it's also permission giving is underlying that is the idea that I need to give myself an opportunity to check in with where my body's at. Many of my colleagues, including myself, sometimes forget when we're even tired. We might jump into a night shift after having the first night shift where we've had four or five hours of sleep grind through the daily life and return back to the fire hall and not really recognize how exhausted we are. And if we think back to our children when they were three or four years old, how they functioned after a poor night of sleep, we soon recognize that the irritability and frustration we have could be due to simply exhaustion. And that is a highly fixable issue when we look at it from a sleep hygiene standpoint. And so sleep is foundational for mental health within all areas of society, but also within public safety. 
especially around consolidating memories of a potentially traumatic encounter so that you can essentially digest and move forward with your day. I'm just curious. And I mean, holy smokes. Yeah. Check. Um, (laughs) Are you familiar with Pat Byrne? You know him. He's somebody I'm going to connect you with because I think you'll have a lot in common. He's like an industrial sleep expert. He's been on the podcast before and did a webinar for us. And I'll share his information with you because this is kind of his whole wheelhouse is, Mm -hmm. is sleep and unpacking some of the other applications that are out there that are still kind of useful, I think, but um, it it could be something that could be useful in your practice. So I'll make sure to connect you after this podcast with Pat. He's been on the podcast before. When we think about this work, is there one particular area? I'm sure there may be more than one when we think about brain health, mental health, and industrial health and well-being that frustrates you. And it could be from any way. It could be from any which way. Yeah. Well, Mark, I really like the way you introduced the podcast of referring to first responders as potentially working wounded versus the term traumatized. And I think where the frustration lies with me in terms of the mental health field is that we quickly move towards the term trauma to describe an event that that may be challenging. In fact, I don't even use the term mental health issues or mental health disorder. They're challenges in life. We have to start normalizing this. And the challenge I have with the term trauma is anyone can Wikipedia. It kind of goes like this, exceeding one's ability to cope, damage to the mind. And so paradoxically, in the mental health field, we have fallen prey to popular beliefs around trauma as being a way to market our services. And I think that in stoic paramilitary audiences, when you identify your services in a trauma-based perspective around depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, we're ultimately pushing further away from first responders rather than bringing them closer. And I don't necessarily fault the average mental health professional for falling prey to that because that's where the field of complex trauma training took us to in the last 20 or 30 years with the advances on things like fMRIs and other research that got it right at a tremendous knowledge base, but essentially took away from what I would call a first responder-centered approach to therapy, which is how do you build rapport with first responders to be comfortable with the giant elephant in the room that yes, maybe their relationship issues are related to their 4,000 calls, but putting that on hold to look at the individual first and the responder second. And that is a huge gap, in my opinion, that every level of mental health professional from psychiatrist to life coach has made. And it's a sense of civilian voyeurism and unfortunately top-down approach that has served to disconnect mental health professionals from frontline public safety. And the research supports this. The research shows 44.5% of members of public safety in Canada struggle with symptoms consistent with one or more psychological disorders. Now, what percentage of that 44.5% are accessing upstream mental health care? Very, very few. So what would you estimate? What would you estimate? I'm not going to hold you to it too, too much, but what would you estimate? Uh, just, Just generalizing, again, not based on 
raw, real numbers. But if you're just making an estimated guess for the listeners, what would that number be? You know, if you were to provide full funding for upstream mental health care, I would say the engagement would be about 10 to 15 percent. That's when you eliminate all financial barriers to receiving care. Yeah. So now, just like um, anything else to do with stoic mental health or, or stoic health in general, you know, we often wait for an excuse as to why I shouldn't do it. So the excuse when you go onto a psychologist's website is going to be that my extended health plan covers 500 bucks a year and each session is 250 with this individual. I'm out. <laughs> I'm going to go to Indigo and get that self-help book that I'll never open. And so there is a disconnect philosophically with mental health services, but then there's those financial barriers that give a perfect excuse as to why not to receive care. Well, something instead, if I could, if I could, because yeah. I really love what you're saying. And I think it generalizes so well to so many things is that we're all human. We are not our diagnosis. So be very careful putting your diagnosis before your name. Absolutely. And diagnosis to me is really suitable for insurance purposes, suitable in terms of maybe complex mental health injuries where there is a requirement for psychotropic medication, but it is reserved for very severe cases of post-traumatic stress injuries and other mental health challenges. What I've had a really hard time with, Mark, is not minimizing one's suffering but at the same time, not marginalizing people that are in that small percentage by having this approach. And it's really delicate for me to say that this is reserved for only the most severely injured, when I know people listening to your podcast might be in that severely injured category and feel even more isolated or feel like an even bigger burden to others within their public safety group. I want to be very clear that the term post-traumatic stress disorder is real, but it's not as prevalent as we think it is. In other words, our society has often equated members of public safety with the term PTSD. And I think that's a real misnomer in terms of what really happens on the front line. And I think that's brilliantly said. When we think about someone like you, again, you are like one of the most eclectic guests we've ever had. Is there maybe one or two key influences that helped to bring you towards, you know, I I almost think about the Simon Sinek, find your why work. Like what were the influences that led you down this path? Was it a book, a professor, a loved one, a friend? What helped? Well, you might be surprised by this uh, response, but It was the cluster of suicides that I had to endure in 2015. And so the backdrop to the story on why I'm doing what I'm doing is because I feel like more lives can be saved than we're lost if we get this work right. And as someone who has had to deal with the suicides of of five people that I've worked connected to locally within three years, I knew that organizations, society, and the healthcare community in general could do a much better job without simply putting the burden on or minimizing the individual's role in getting help themselves. And so that's really what 
led me into this particular work. But make no mistake about it, I absolutely love what I do. I'm not a suicide intervention expert. I don't work every day thinking about the deaths of colleagues. I'm inspired by a post-traumatic growth perspective, which underlies my whole approach on acquired stress injuries, which in some ways counters the common notion that first responders have a significant amount of personality or psychological disorders. And so I'm all about normalizing suffering, recognizing that life is not easy for any one of us, and that if we can collectively share in this and give ourselves permission to be curious and humble, like we've talked about earlier, I believe psychological injury rates will be lowered in public safety and be a great microcosm for the rest of society to follow. I think that if I'm speaking specifically to a male audience here, and I'm overgeneralizing, men look up to two groups in society, professional athletes and first responders. And so I love the work that's being done in the mental health space with athletes and awareness that's happening now. We have to do the same with first responders. And if we wait for researchers and organizations to change the way things are going to happen, we're going to be waiting a long time because this is a very micro niche focus that goes beyond the mandate of a typical firefighter culture or civilian-based research expedition on on the mental health of first responders. I love it. I I think that I'm there for you on this. Uh, You know, we've talked about it before, you know, my father, you know, one of my huge mentors in my life, no longer with us, but he lives inside of me, his vision and his work was involved with operations with emergency communications. And we talked about that earlier as well, trying to coordinate those complex level of services and and ensure communication is proper. But this is an area I'm very passionate about as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm there to serve and help and support you on this mission as you continue forward. For people that are listening here, you're a very humble person, but for people who are looking for services and help right now, how do they get a hold of you? How do they learn more? If they're struggling right now, where are some some places where they could reach out to? Yeah, so since October 2017, um, myself and the BC Professional Firefighters Association have joined forces to train healthcare providers on how to work with members of public safety. Over the last five years, uh, or a little bit less, actually, this has grown. It's called the Occupational Awareness Training Program. And it's now, I'm happy to say, under the umbrella of Wounded Warriors Canada. So just last month, we launched a new initiative called Warrior Health. And warriorhealth.ca is an accessible directory for public safety members to look for healthcare providers who have taken our training in how to build rapport, and essentially enhance clinical outcomes in working with members of public safety. Now, on the flip side of it, for your listeners, are are actually healthcare providers that want to build some cultural awareness of these cultures. Um, We spent the last two years developing our online training. And as we mentioned earlier, you know, you have an MED, I have an MED too. My passion is education. And so this isn't, you know, the fancy TED Talk kind of format. This is about real educational-based outcomes that will help your healthcare providers enhance their ability to build rapport and ultimately enhance their clinical outcomes in working with members of public safety. And so Warrior Health really represents two streams, public safety personnel and their family members, and then healthcare provider training. 
Now, where the two intersect is we have a national directory now where I'm really proud and pleased to say this is Canada's first directory of occupationally aware clinicians and providers, where it's an Airbnb-style interface of where you can find healthcare providers that have received our training. And one of the challenges and barriers we know early on in, in our trainings is that extended health plans only recognize certain types of professionals. So this directory, based on your province and your extended health plan, you can filter out professionals that are not recognized by your extended health plan so that you're only seeing, say, registered psychologists on your platform in Ontario. And if you have registered clinical counselors listed on your extended health plan in BC, you can filter out and just look at registered clinical counselors. So in that light, I believe our initiative is a movement rather than a one-off training opportunity. And this is going to influence and change the mental health landscape of Canada with Wounded Warriors. I want to help, you know, I'll say that right here now. Uh, we want to find ways to help you on this quest that you're on. I know it's not easy, but neither is endurance running. So, no. you know, I just want to acknowledge you for your inquiry, but not just your inquiry saying, well, that's a problem but stepping towards that complex problem day by day, trying to do something of service so that the future is brighter for those that are serving our communities. So thank you again for doing everything that you're doing. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this podcast was designed with an intention and an objective, and that was to share stories of rehabilitation, of recovery from brain injury, to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members. So thank you again for all of the support with that. If this episode resonated for you and had value for you, we just ask, please download and share it. Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and want to learn more about the Bears platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. Just go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. Uh, training is very accessible and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neurorehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support and we'll see you on the next episode. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.